This week, we dive a bit deeper into what our team learned at a major conference on artificial intelligence. We'll talk about an AI pioneer's vision for the future. And we'll introduce you to the wonders of Ducky Town, among other things. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. I'm Shane Giles. I'm Ashley LaVallee-Konick. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Well, we are back from a little break with a special episode of Bloom. Uh, we wanted to do this because Taproot sent a team to Upper Bound. And while we published a couple stories on it, we thought we could go like a lot deeper uh, if we could have a conversation on the podcast. And we have a podcast called Bloom. So here we are. Um, first, you should know, who who's this team? Who am I talking about? So Shane, who are you? Well, I'm a radio host over at CKUA here in Edmonton. I am proudly Red River Métis, born and raised here in Region 4 of the MNA and Treaty 6 Territory. I'm a journalism grad from McEwen University, too. Right. And Ashley, who are you? I'm an editorial assistant at Taproot here for a limited time, and I'm also a McEwen journalism student. I'm from Medicine Hat, but I've been living in Edmonton for like five years now. And maybe we'll ask you, Ashley, what I, I said at the top, Upper Bound. What's Upper Bound? Right. So um, Upper Bound is the second annual conference on AI technology um, It's org- that we've had in Edmonton here. It's organized by the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute, or AMI. And uh, it just happened at the end of May, at the end of last month. So um, essentially, students, entrepreneurs, investors... Really anyone with a curiosity about AI could come in, gain some insight into how that industry is developing, what AI is actually being used for, things like that. And like how big a conference was it? It was pretty busy when you went, Shane? Oh, absolutely. So we went for the full week and I think Monday and Tuesday, it was just absolutely packed. Um, There were a whole bunch of students from U of A. There were a lot of academics. People came from all over the world. I think they said people from over 20 countries went to Upper Bound. Uh, So it was a great opportunity to get to meet people who are interested in AI and robotics from around the world. Right. So that big of a thing with that many sessions going on at the same time, you can't swallow the ocean we couldn't go to everything but we did like dip into a few things and so um one of those sessions was on something called ducky town so ashley what it what's ducky town um so ducky town is almost as cute as it sounds (laughs) okay i'm not the expert okay so we're gonna say it's a robotic software developed by mit in 2016 Uh, And basically, it lets users program these little self-driving vehicles that have rubber duck passengers. Uh, So the University of Alberta has been using this in one of their robotics courses, um, just kind of more recently to give students um, like more hands-on learning opportunities with robotics. And what makes it kind of like a good way to learn AI and robotics? Uh, So what I kind of took away from the presentation was that it's a lot more accessible of a platform and a technology compared to what they were using in the past. I think they used to use something called TurtleBots, and they kind of mentioned that they were a lot more expensive. They didn't work quite as well. So this technology is just better. It's easier to use. 
Um, and then since these little robots and these little ducks are all interacting in a town kind of setting, uh, so they have assignments where um, their self-driving vehicle has to consider broken other broken down ducks and pedestrians and things like that. Um, so it encourages more like group minded thinking and collaboration, uh, which has become a really integral part of the course. Yeah. So during the panel on Ducky Town, the instructor for the course, Matt Taylor, told us a little bit more about its goals and how it's working to integrate community. One of the problems students do face now is just an absurd amount of information. So one of the, the skills that undergraduate and, and graduate students need to learn is how do you do that search? How do you recognize reputable or useful sources versus the garbage ones? So I would like to say we have an intensive training program for how to identify, no, we just throw them in the deep end. Um, but to assist with that, we do have a discord. So we, we really encourage the students to ask questions, not just of Matt and the TA, well, Matt doesn't know the answer. Don't ask questions just of the TAs, but ask the class because somebody else has already figured this out. Or if you're the first one, someone else is gonna to need to know this too. So students do help identify those resources that are useful. And then after each exercise, the students have to put their code on Git, they need to put it on their webpage, so that if you did poorly on exercise two, you can decide to look at somebody else's solution or even just build directly on theirs. So that strikes me as like, exactly what education should be like, like experimental, building on what everybody else is doing, not trying to like find the right answer on your own without working with other people. Does that strike you the same way? Um, yeah, I would love if like all of university was like that and like different programs had more opportunities like that. Um, journalism in particular, I've been lucky. We do have a lot more opportunities for that hands-on kind of learning than some programs, but um, it is definitely still framed as like, this is your competition to a degree. And I kind of like that they have gone with a different approach in this course. And really when you think about it, like that's how we should be acting in society too, right? If we want to make any actual changes and everyone is trying to make their own change and they don't work together, I mean, I think we'll have a lot more success if we're all talking and thinking as one. Yeah. What do you think about that, Shane? Oh, I definitely agree. Um, we didn't get this far as a society by, you know, sticking with ourselves and holding all of our information in silos. So uh, emphasizing collaboration, which is something that's going to be really useful in the real world, not just in classes, is something that's only going to benefit people. I mean, I'm also a journalism grad, and there were definitely some instances of people who, you know, maybe needed some help, and I offered some assistance to that otherwise their story would have come out maybe a bit worse. And I imagine the same is true in robotics and AI. Yeah, and it seems like, like, the problems they're trying to solve are really complicated. And so you kind of need to tap into the collective wisdom in order to be able to get there, which kind of feels like a good segue into another session that you went to, which was uh, kind of a progress report on a project that Amy and New Harvest are working on to see how machine learning might advance cellular agriculture. So uh, first of all, Shane, what is, what is cellular agriculture? 
It's a big, scary term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was also pretty new to the concept up, up until I went to Upper Bound, but it's basically trying to grow cellular cultures. In this specific instance, they're trying to grow meat. Uh, and so they're able to grow protein cultures and fat cultures out of uh, petri dishes. The twist is, and the reason why it's so innovative is that it has the potential to be a new way of producing and consuming meat. Right. So you don't not um, killing animals, but you're growing the cells that we eat as in in like muscle and fat and and whatever. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, this is a session that was looking at how machine learning might be able to advance that idea. What did, what did you learn? It's really complicated. Uh, that's the main thing I, I took away from it. So cellular agriculture, just as we touched on with Ducky Town, um, is definitely an industry that could benefit from more collaboration. A lot of the funding has been private over the past few years. And so there's all these different companies all trying to accomplish the same thing independently, where if they work together, it would probably be able to make a lot more progress a lot faster. One possible application of machine learning that they discussed was using computers to figure out the best inputs to get the desired output. So uh, they figured out how to do ground meats, but maybe if we figure out better ways to actually feed the cultures and structure them, then we will be able to produce more complex meats. Uh, they touched on something like AlphaFold, which is an open source 3D modeling protein system and using AlphaFold for things like developing more complex protein structures, like maybe oysters or shellfish. And on the stage there, there was um, Michael Todd Hunter, who's one of the researchers uh, who has been looking for ways through this project with Amy, looking for ways that machine learning could be applied. Um, let's hear a, a little clip from him talking about uh, one of those applications. Another thing that ML could be very good at for cellular agriculture is analyzing images of cells. So if you're growing cells, one of the most data-rich ways to get information about how healthy they are, how many you have, what sort of orientation and structure they have, is microscopy. You take pictures. Um, how do you get data out of those pictures? Well, the old-fashioned way is you get a biologist who looks at them one at a time and just makes observations. This scales abysmally, but uh, computer vision, in particular the subtasks of segmentation and classification, is kind of the right tool for the job for this. Um, th these are ML tasks that are already big in fields like pathology or radiology and medicine, and they could be very useful in cellular agriculture just in order to monitor or optimize cultures are growing. And that like makes total sense, like what he's talking about, dealing with like a tremendous amount of information that a human brain just can't process as quickly as, as a machine can. What's holding them back from doing this? Like we touched on earlier, a lot of the limitations are keeping information to themselves. No company wants to give away their findings for free, especially when, you know, their profit depends on it. And so that's resulted in a lot of people reinventing the wheel over and over and over again, rather than making wheels for other people to use uh, in that analogy. Yeah, it's really interesting um, hurdle to overcome. And I feel like talking to the two of you throughout Upper Bound, that was like a 
kind of a common theme, which kind of makes sense, I guess, since this was uh, run by Amy, which is all about research and sharing and stuff like that, that open, open source openness is going to get us closer faster than siloing everything. Um, what, what was it about that session that struck you, Ashley? I was quite struck by the potential environmental impacts. Um, I won't repeat like the numbers that they listed off because everything was like very theoretical, very potential, but we could repurpose in theory, <laughs> a lot of land um, that we typ typically are using like for livestock, you know, cattle, pigs, everything. Uh, we could repurpose a lot of that land for other things. Um, and I think that alone is really quite exciting. And that's before we can even get into like, they mentioned being able to modify the kinds of meats that we produce. So like taking away the cholesterol and the cancer causing um, molecules in red meat. And I guess that sounds kind of scary now that I'm saying it, like yeah. maybe that's like more power than we should have, but I think it's also really exciting. And if it stays in the right hands, then that could bring a lot of benefits potentially. I think that that is definitely part of what um, New Harvest is all about. And that's what excited Isha Datar, who's the executive director of that organization, who's based here in Edmonton, but operates all around the world, is to try to to deal with the environmental uh, impacts. There's a lot of miles to go from what I understand, though, because just the, the amount of energy right now that goes into growing meat in the lab is significant. An Edmonton company is trying to solve that problem is actually Future Fields, which we've talked about on the on the podcast before. And they've figured out a way to make that growth medium that the stuff grows in by engineering fruit flies to create the stuff instead of getting it from like vast vats of bacteria, which have their own environmental footprint. So it's just an example of like how much more complicated this stuff is but it but we're so much further along figuring out how to do it than we were before you two also attended a session that maybe is a little bit less theoretical a little bit more um this is being used right now uh machine learning in action so tell what can you tell me ashley about um how Routique is doing uh using machine learning Totally. So Routique is a company that focuses on supply chain optimization, which is kind of just a fancy way to say that they make the shipping, the receiving, storing, all of those different parts of the retail ecosystem a lot more efficient, less complicated, since that's usually happening across a lot of different partners rather than within one corporation, right? Um, so it's a coordination organization kind of a company and that, that and that's what they use the machine learning aspect for um, so here's the CEO Michael Allen talking about that a little bit and giving us an example of what that machine learning can actually do it'll do things like for example um, optimize 5,000 deliveries in the greater Toronto area in a morning not knowing how many trucks it has and not knowing how many deliveries it has until 10 minutes before so it's built for speed so when you heard that, did that impress you or scare you? I do have to admit, it actually impressed me. 
Um, I have been working for a large corporate retailer for four years. So I've been kind of on that back end and I've seen what a mess the logistics side of things can be uh, working in a backroom warehouse and dealing with like those seasonal stock changeover issues and shipping things back to them. And then they just ship back to us and the amount of energy and to come back to climate change and the environment again, like the amount of energy packaging, all of that, that we're wasting by not having those processes be efficient uh, is actually quite, quite a shame, I think. So to see the potential to have that optimized as they, as they say, um, even just from a worker's perspective, I think it would make things a lot easier. What about you, Shane? I mean, I definitely see the appeal and the benefit of making things more efficient. Um, something that I think Rutik touched on, Michael Allen touched on, was the difficulty in getting people to adopt the new systems. Um, he mentioned something like truck drivers probably don't want a computer monitoring exactly where they are all the time because, you know, historically, uh, the boss has not perhaps treated them very well when they're late. Um, so there's a lot of fear around what it will mean for the human workers to work alongside AI in this system. But I think if we can reduce food waste, make things more efficient, and have it accurate based on road conditions, weather conditions, and emergencies, that would be a, a pretty good public benefit. And just to add to that, they did mention as well that for Routique's use for machine learning specifically, some of that input is going to be human-based data. So people logging times, logging activities, things like that. So um, they did kind of address the fact that it won't be, you know, we still need that human aspect. Uh, it's not something that is going to eliminate the human element or like take over the human element. It, it'll be, it's kind of a mix that they use with that approach. At least until the uh, the folks at Ducky Town figure out to make those trucks uh, self driving, they'll take take some more humans out of the out of the system. All right. Well, thank you for that little survey of some of the cool stuff that you heard. Uh, we're going to hear some more stuff, but let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what Rich Sutton said in his closing keynote. And then we'll talk a little bit more about your feelings about AI as we're on this uh, cusp of a new world. This episode of Bloom is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton. We're on a mission to help you understand your community better, and this podcast is one of the many ways in which we do that. Taproot makes its coverage free for everyone to access. That includes The Pulse, which is our daily newsletter, as well as six weekly newsletters on tech, food, health, the region, arts, and business, plus our podcasts, which include Speaking Municipally, Let's Find Out, and bloom. If you are interested in any or all of those things, head to taprootedmonton.ca slash join and become a Taproot reader today. Uh, I would say that these things are free to read and that's important to us. We want you to be able to consume them freely. Uh, they are not free to make. So if you find our work valuable, you could also become a Taproot member. Not only will you earn a very special place in my heart, but you'll also be helping us continue to pay attention to Edmonton and the metro region now and in the future. And you get all of that for just $10 a month or $100 per year. Learn more at taprootedmonton.ca slash join. 
All right, so you also heard a chance, Shane, to hear the closing keynote at Upper Bound. First of all, who is Richard Sutton? So Richard Sutton is a CIFAR chair. He's an Amy Fellow, and he's been teaching AI and robotics for most of his career. He's considered one of the pioneers of artificial intelligence. He's very humble about it, though. He's like, well, I'm just a guy with some opinions. Um, but he's, <laughs> he's literally written the book on artificial intelligence. He's written the textbook on it. And specifically reinforcement learning, like how you how, how you teach a computer kind of to learn the way we learn, which is doing it over and over again and getting it wrong and then getting it right. So what did he announce in his talk? A lot of things, but also just two main things. The first thing was he contributed to the discussion on AI and reinforcement learning by distinguishing tool AI and agent AI. Uh, and the second thing is he announced that uh, after the closure of DeepMind that he worked out for a while, the DeepMind Edmonton office, he's going to be staying in Alberta to continue his work on AI and implementing what him and his colleagues are calling the Alberta plan for AI research. Um, so a lot of very exciting things that came out of that talk. Yeah, and we will link to your story about that talk in the show notes. But just for the listeners, maybe let's explain a little bit the difference between tool AI and agent AI. Uh, what what are those things and which one is he interested in building? Uh, so the major distinction between tool AI and agent AI is that tool AI requires a human to do the thing that you want it to do. Uh, when wielded by a person, it can create wonderful and magical things. It can also create some kind of scary things when used in the wrong way, like ChatGPT or the image generating software Dolly. Uh, Agent AI, which Rich Sutton is more interested in implementing, are things like GT Sophie or autonomous driving it'll be able to leverage reinforcement learning and human inputs and reward mechanisms to get a desired outcome based on a goal. Yeah, so he's kind of talking about like creating something that transcends humanity, uh, not just uses humanity or, or even maybe augments humanity. I That sounds a little bit scary to me. Should, should I be scared? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so Rich Rich went into it and he, he very much made it clear, like, I'm an optimist about this. I think that when used by the right people, we can do amazing things. I don't think you should be afraid of tool AI. And I don't think you should be afraid of tool AI turning into agent AI, like developing sentience and taking over the world. That That would take a lot of human input to do. Uh, and there are not a lot of people who are that interested in doing that right now. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be scared. I think this is definitely an instance of, as Rich said, like we need to increase AI literacy. Agent AI doesn't happen easily. GT Sophie took years and years of work. It developed off of 30 years of reinforcement learning. I wouldn't be afraid. I would, I would be afraid of how people use it. But I think that's a pretty pretty natural fear, like the fear of the unknown. Uh, as Rich mentioned in his discussion, like it's pretty normal for people to be afraid of things that they're unfamiliar with. This is in our genetic history, both as the dominator and the dominated. Uh, these attitudes, are, these, these are still part of our attitudes towards others. 
I think now, particularly in Canada, we try to be more open-minded and embrace the differences, um, and what's different and good in others. Uh, we try to be welcoming and not fearful. But yeah, the, the fear-monger narrative of AI builds on our instinctual fear of the other tribe, the other people that are strong. Uh, and, and so we know from our human history that it, it's their major advantages if we can overcome that and work together and collaborate. And so did his comments on that set your mind at ease, Shane? It actually did. Uh, he seemed really confident about it, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that <laughs> tracks. We can overcome this. We can be a community. We can work together. So it, it did, and I definitely did not go into Upper Bound at the beginning of the week with that mindset. How about you, Ashley? You weren't there for the keynote, but just from what we've shared with you, are you uh, is, is your mindset at ease? Honestly, just from this clip and the bit of context I've got here, not really, <laughs> uh, which I hate to say, but like in this clip particular, I find this language about like not fearing the other tribe and accepting differences, maybe a little bit misleading. Um, like the words make sense, but I don't think that they do in this context as much. Like I think as humans, we should apply that to ourselves and we should think like that together. But I think that it's completely fair that when there's potentially like civilization changing technology on the horizon, that we should be cautious. Um, but I think we should be cautious as one kind of like he suggests kind of, but in the context of like embracing that technological other. And that's the part that I kind of take a bit of issue with. Um, so I am still quite wary, we'll say. <laughs> well, I do think that if um, Sutton and his colleagues succeed at creating this artificial and artificial general intelligence, which is what the Alberta plan is talking about, which is, as you say, Shane, way beyond like a, a different kind of thing than what most of us are experiencing right now with AI tools like ChatGPT and DALI. Um, it is going to be change the world utterly. And uh, you two are young. This will be the world that you are are um, going to be uh, growing old in. Uh, so just after listening to all that and spending several days kind of immersed in AI, um, do you feel like we're at this like inflection point that is going to change everything for the, for the future that you were just at the beginning of? I mean, I feel like for most of my adult life and pretty much all of my life, actually, um, we've always been in this uh, period of, of massive technological change. Like we went from VCR to CDs and now everything's digital. We went from home phones to cell phones and now you've got Bluetooth. And it seems like a natural evolution of the way that we've been using technology that we want it to be able to do more always. But when we're reaching this point where it's already approaching human-like intelligence, what's the next step? Well, you want to find a way to go further. Mm -hmm. So I very much went into this like, I, I hate AI. I don't trust it. Like, it's so unethical. Like, there's people are using it for all the wrong reasons when you could be using it for this or that. Like, um, I, I don't like people who use chat GPT to write their essays, for example. 
And something I used to think was they should just use this for something that will help people instead. Like, I don't know, uh, working in hospitals. Uh, and it made me really think more about like the ethical implications of that. Mm-hmm. And this fear that AI is going to take over and it's going to make decisions that impact human life and it will be the death of humanity. Rich Sutton mentioned that if an AI is able to develop a human-like intelligence, surely it'll be able to recognize the benefit of working alongside people who can, you know, act in the real world rather than, you know, destroy their allies. Uh, So it, it was a lot. And it was a very interesting conference. I wish I could go on for hours about it. Uh, it made math fun, which wow. is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so I had, I had a great time. I learned a lot. How about you, Ashley? How are you feeling about the future now that you've had a bit of a, a glimpse of it? It's hard to say. I mean, I'm somebody who thinks that change is good and growth is good. And I'm not someone who's typically like a stick in the mud and wants things to stay exactly as they are. However, I do think that sometimes we, we overemphasize the value of some things um, over others, which we maybe shouldn't. So like, for example, the industrial revolution, okay, a lot of people argue, and you can definitely argue very easily that pre-industrial revolution compared to now, we have a lot of benefits from that and things are better. Um, However, you have to adopt a certain lens in order to do that. There are valid perspectives that would argue towards the kind of lifestyle where you're like working to survive rather than working to participate in an economy to survive. You know what I mean? Like there are different things, like people value different things. And so I do think that caution, like I said, is still important. And that although right now, from the point we're at, it might seem great to think about all of the mind-blowing potential this technology has, and I am excited to see that, I do think that maybe once we actually get there, things might change. We might have a little bit of buyer's remorse, maybe. (laughs) That seems to be the way. Yeah, that seems to be the way. Uh, well, thank you for sharing all of these insights um, with me and by extension, our, our listeners. Uh, do check the show notes for links to the stories that Shane and Ashley wrote about the conference, uh, as well as the rest of their great work for Taproot. Uh, also, Upper Bound has put out videos of 22, I think, sessions from from Upper Bound, including the quite a few of the things that we've talked about today. So if this has piqued your interest about Upper Bound, you'll be able to go to our show notes to, to find out more. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Bloom. This format is kind of an experiment as we continue to work on how to make this podcast serve you best and talk about innovation in Edmonton best. If you have any thoughts, drop it drop us a line at hello at taprudemonton.ca. We would love your feedback and uh, we'll be back in a while. We're not going to resume regular every week for a bit until we get our feet under us, but uh, we are going to, we will come back because uh, this, this is fun. It'll be, it'd be good to, to explore this part of Edmonton uh, in a different way. Bloom is produced by Tapper Edmonton with editing this week by Shane Giles. Our music is by Dave Von Beaker and our cover art is by Vicki Rusinski. Bye.